All right, hey, uh, it's day three, y'all. We're we're past the halfway point in our class on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give y'all just a little bit more time to work on these uh, two questions that you're answering. But before before we get going, I'm going to pray. Um, we've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to need y'all to bear with me. Hope y'all got plenty of sleep last night and had sweet dreams of the catechism. So that you're ready for... Nobody dreamed about the catechism? Raise your hand if you dreamed about the catechism. Anybody? No. You're all fired. Really? Is that right? What? That's not bad. What? Oh, come on. We all dream. All right. Uh, let's let's pray together. Do you need a note card there in the back, my friend, my volunteer friend? For you. For you. You could work work on this. And these, the answer to these two questions on one side, describe the Trinity, and on the other. Answer the question: What's the biggest problem in the world today? That's just for you. We might participate. We might interact with each other's answers a little bit later, but you're not going to like hand it in or be forced to stand and read it aloud, unless you really want that. But I don't think you do. Uh, let's pray together, and we'll get going. Uh, Father in heaven, you are so good. What a sweet thing it is that we get to be together and we get to look at your truth. Uh, this morning. God, would you lead us in the truth? Um, God, I pray that uh, what you've written in Scripture for us to know would draw us to you. Even as we think about big, difficult questions uh, in the world and in our lives, um, we want to be close to you. We pray that you would make that happen through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, um, I want to jog our memories just a little bit um, as far as where we've been over the past couple of days. Um, on day one, we had a little, little bit of an intro to Westminster Shorter Catechism. Who remembers what year the Westminster Divines gathered in Westminster Abbey to begin? I saw this hand first, Ben. 1643, ding, ding, ding. Tons of candy for you. Sugar babies? Sugar Daddy? Okay. Sugar Daddy, Sugar Babies. It's a debate as old as Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, who remember, This is sort of an easy one, but who remembers what... I shouldn't start a question that way, because then if you don't know it, you feel like, ah, he said it was easy, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to... Know. This is a really hard question. You're going to be brilliant to know this one. Um, what city did they gather in to write the Westminster Confession of Faith? That is bingo, schlingo. Never said schlingo before, right now. Um, Alright. Who can tell me who the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written for? Who did those people have in mind as they were putting together Westminster Shorter Catechism? I have a word in mind. I saw this hand. Everyday people is wrong! It's for you! It's close. Well, that was your second answer. What were you going to say? Did you raise your hand? Alright, you can all have candy. Yes, you can all have sugar babies. Even you, Wells. Small, you get a small lollipop. But Did I? Did you? I just raised my hand, but I didn't Were you going to say youth? No. You weren't? Well, jawbreaker for you. What were you going to say? Was it the youth? It was the youth. Exactly right. I like how I did that. Was it the youth? Was it? It was the youth, right? 
Um, yeah, so it's this super old document, and I, I want to remind us too that um, one of the things that I love about the Westminster Shorter Catechism is it's like it's like all of the Bible, all that God has revealed in Scripture is like this gigantic porterhouse steak. Remember I talked about this on Monday? And it's like just this beautiful, amazingly grilled porterhouse steak. And we're like little four-year-olds. And we're, we like would love to try porterhouse steak. We would love to try this huge, perfectly grilled steak. But it's just too much for us to handle. It's a lot for us to handle. And so uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism sort of stands between Scripture and us. And it takes these huge, amazing truths and it boils them down. It slices them into little bite-sized pieces so that we can understand those great truths. Um, today, we are going to cover way more ground in the Catechism than we have in the first two days. So I really need you all to put on your, your thinkery-dinky-dinky caps. It's my term for thinking caps. I've never said that before either. Um, and we are going to, uh, we're actually going to do like a sprint through the first 20 questions of the Shorter Catechism. Now, I don't want us to get caught in the weeds. Um, the, first, the first 20 questions really answer one question, which is, what's wrong with the world? Or why is the world the way it is? So as we go through all of these questions, I want you to know that that's, that's what's uh, being communicated here. That's, that's what we're, we're asking the Bible. Tell us why, why the world is the way it is. Tell us why the world is this way. And, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism is going to give us uh, a certain answer. Um, so this is going to be a full sprint through the first 20 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Oh, you got to love a wind sprint, don't you? Just get on the line and run and sweat. Um, all right, here's what I want to do. I think this is our... Yeah, this is great. Um, I, we are not going to go through the questions verbatim. I have D1643-ized most of the questions. There's a couple of them that we are going to do a deep dive and look at, at what they actually say, but I've taken those questions and tried to boil them down to be uh, a little more modernized and even simplified in some cases. And some people might not like that, but you know what? We're doing it anyway. So here's what I want to do. I want this side of the class to say the question out loud together, and then you guys will say the answer together. Um, I went to the University of Georgia, the greatest college that's ever existed and ever will exist. Um, And this is my t-shirt jersey. Who can tell me what player this is? Yes, Todd Gurley. Gurley, That's right. TG three. Todd Gurley, the second. Um, At the University of Georgia during the game, I know this is like this happens at like tons of places, but there's this. uh, It happens multiple times throughout the game. The entire stadium becomes divided into two sections, and the one section says Georgia, and the other side says Bulldogs, and it sort of just sounds like blah blah. But it's great. You sort of feel like you're about to go into battle. And we're like destroying Nickel State or something like that. And you just cry out together. So that's what I want to happen in here but with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Okay? So you guys are question side and you guys are answer side. I'm just going to flip the slides and we're going to do this together. Now we're going to stop a handful of times and like I said, do a, a deep dive. So we're not just going to go through all 20 questions and I'll be like, no, that's class for today. Get out of here. But we're going to do a deep dive into some some of these questions. Um, so we'll sort of hit the brakes. But let's, let's give this a try. You guys ready? 
I say, are you guys ready? Yeah. Right. Let's do it. Question. What is chief? Beautiful. All right, we're going to try that again. Group, I need some synergy from you guys. Chemistry is key, okay? We're going to be together. You guys feel like you're on the same page? Do we need to do like a team building exercise? Somebody want to do a trust fall real quick so that we're on the same page? You guys, you think you got it? Okay. Let's do this. Question. Answer. Question. Answer. The Bible teaches us what to do and what to believe. What is God? God is the Spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Twenty-two truths, eighteen words. Not a question, but what's the answer? There's only one God. God is Trinity. Oh boy. How many persons are there in Godhead? There are three persons in Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are not one God. The same in substance, people, power, people. Okay, that is actually bananas that all you guys said spirit, even though it says ghost up there. Okay. This is, this is actual question six from the Shorter Catechism. Um, I want you to look at your definition of the Trinity. If you wrote something down, um, if you wrote something down for what is the Trinity, um, I want us to look at this, at this answer together. So, uh, the Trinity is complex. It is not impossible to describe the Trinity. Um, but there is sort of this like inherent danger in talking about the Trinity. Sort of the old adage is that the more you say about the Trinity, the more wrong you become about the Trinity. Um, in fact, I, I, I totally... Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells sometimes if somebody's like, hey, so the Trinity, does that mean there's like three gods? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, this answer in the Catechism is A... Correct, which is important. B, concise. It's short. And three, it is the result of uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of study of the Bible and, hold on to your seats, uh, people dying. Uh, people who disagree with this definition of the Trinity for, for hundreds of years in the, in the beginning of, of the church, if you disagreed with part of this or if you had, had part of this off when it comes to the definition of the Trinity, uh, people, would, people would kill you. They thought, if you're wrong about the Trinity, uh, we would rather you not be on the earth. Now keep in mind, things like religious tolerance, which is not really a concept, in like the first thousand years after uh, Jesus came to earth, Um, really maybe like 1,500 years after Jesus came to earth. So if you disagreed with one of these parts of the Trinity, people would be like, you know what? If I can't change your mind, you you just need to no longer be on the earth. Um, That shouldn't scare... Like, don't worry. That's not going to happen to you because we live in America and and things are so much different and better now. Um, But this truth is hard won. It took a lot of people a lot of time and even bloodshed to get to this truth Um, and this is a really good definition of the Trinity 
It's 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 really rich. Um, I want us to read it together uh, one more time. And um, I would even say this. It would not be that hard for you to memorize this answer to the catechism so that when you go to college and somebody who wasn't raised in a Christian household or was and uh, has some deep, hard questions because they never learned the catechism, nobody ever explained the Trinity. People just use the word Trinity and never explained it to them. And they come into your dorm room with tears in their eyes and they say, I just can't wrap my mind around the idea that God is three in one. What in the world does that mean? Here's what you can say to them. So let's read this uh, together. I'll ask the question and we'll, we'll say it together. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Alright, here's a couple of things that, that this keeps us from believing, which are really common pitfalls. Like You will meet people who love Jesus and also say these wrong things about the Trinity. They'll say this. Um, I believe there's only one God. Ding, ding, ding. We're good there. There's only one God. Uh, but I believe that God expresses Himself three different ways. Like sometimes God is the Father, and then He takes off His Father mask, and He puts on a Son mask, and He acts as Jesus, the Son. And then sometimes He takes off His Son mask, and He puts on the Holy Spirit mask. That's not true. That's not true. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit coexist. They coexist. Right now, there is a Father who is God. There's a Son who is God. And there is a Spirit who is God. Um, here's the other thing that this keeps us uh, from believing, which a, a lot of people... It's so easy to fall into this. Very easy to fall into this. Um, is God the Father greater than His Son, Jesus? No. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, look at the end there. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Uh, and they picked up stones to kill Him because He made Himself equal with God. So we don't get this idea just because we're like, we think Jesus is as good as the Father. No, we, we get that because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so. This is what the Bible teaches. Um, what questions do you have about the Trinity before we, we keep going? I know that is like some deep water for 9.23 in the morning. Yes, back there, Rico. Um, can you explain what the Holy Spirit is exactly? That's all I got. No, um, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's equal with the Father and the Son. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. Um, the Holy Spirit is described in Scripture as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father, and the Spirit of the Son. Um, now, if that doesn't bother your mind, you're uh, maybe not paying attention because that is kind of bananas. Um, here's, here's the way... Uh, Here's the way I've heard it described that um, that I hope makes sense. 
Um, there's God the Father, and there's God the Son. Uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from, that is, comes from the Father and the Son. So that's why we say things like, um, like when we take the Lord's Supper, we say Jesus is spiritually present. Jesus is spiritually present. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, when we say, God, we want your spirit to be in this room. That's like God the Father. We want the Father's spirit to be in this room. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, the Father and I will come to make our dwelling in him. Like You will have the spirit of the Father and the spirit of the Son inside you. That's the Holy Spirit. Is that making any sense? Yeah. A little bit? Okay, I'm going to stop talking so that I don't become a heretic, um, especially with a microphone recording me. Josiah. I'm just confused about the use of the word substance. Yeah. Um, okay, this is, we're going to dig real deep for a second, okay? There were some councils. How fun is that? Councils used to happen. Like, uh, can you imagine? There's no FaceTime, there's no email, so you can't just like, be like, oh, I've got this question about what God is like. I'm going to email my 16 pastors who I've ever met and say, what do you guys think about the difference between the Father and the Son? Are they the same or are they different? Um, you couldn't do that, so you had to get together. And they would uh, get together and hash out these truths. Well, um, in the 5th century... Uh, there was this council called the Council of Chalcedon. You don't have to know all this fancy schmancy stuff. You should Google Council of Chalcedon if you want to, though, because it's fascinating stuff. Uh, what they debated at the Council of Chalcedon is, is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit of similar substance, or are they of the same substance? Uh, and the idea there is that if if they are of different substance, like if they if they come from different things, if they're made up of different things, then they're going to be different in value. Um, and Scripture teaches that they are of the same substance, the exact same substance. Does that make any sense? It's actually a really important phrase that they're the same in substance. Again, people die because they didn't they didn't believe that. Same in substance. Yes. What kind of verse is it? Um I'd start with Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. Um The, the places that are going to point to the Trinity being, like each person of the Trinity being on an equal playing field, being no different. Um, maybe one of the like most memorable examples is when Jesus says, um, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, so him taking all three persons of the Trinity, himself included, and putting them on an equal playing field. The other thing is um, the Son was not created. The Holy Spirit was not created. Um, so it's not as though like God the Father's always been there and then He decided one day, you know, it'd be nice to have a Son. I'm going to create a Son. So He goes and gets like stardust and creates a Son. They're 
they all come from the, the same source, which is they don't come from anything. They're, they're pre-existent. There's always been a Father, always been a Son, always been a Holy Spirit. So, um, does that make sense? Alright, what other questions do you have about the Trinity? This gets my heart rate going. This is so good. So good. Nobody else? Doesn't get anybody else jazzed? <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's keep rolling a little bit. Back to our Georgia Bulldogs. Here we go. All right, let's try that one again. The question. Is God in control of everything? Yep. Is he behind everything? No. Does God have a relationship with the people he created? Yep. If it was perfect. That was kind of creepy. Sin. The fall. Those are like those little toys from Toy Story. All right, let's do a deep dive here on, on question 13. So the question is, what what happened? That's what I boiled this down to. But this is the, the long form of the question. So let me ask the question and we can all say it together. Question 13 says, did our first parents, now that is Adam and Eve. That's the way they're going to refer to Adam and Eve. How 1643 of them? Uh, wouldn't that be awesome? Like you should, you should talk to your parents uh, like be in a conversation with your parents and be like, well, you know, our first parents, when they were in the Garden of Eden, or my first parents, be like, what are you talking about? I'm your first parents. But your parents are not your first parents. They're your second parents. All right. Anyway, uh, question 13. Did our first parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? Our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created. All right, you guys have heard people talk about the Garden of Eden before. It's it's this immaculate, amazing place on earth where Adam and Eve lived. These are two real people who actually lived. Um, The Garden of Eden was awesome. It was awesome. I don't know if you've ever been to like a royal garden. I went to one in England once and I was like, how is this even possible? The amount of like beautiful foliage and fruit and just the feeling. It's like you're breathing like the most crisp air that's ever been breathed in the world because all these plants are just creating amazing amounts of oxygen and you breathe it in and it's just beautiful and wonderful. And you sort of feel like you're in like Mary Poppins or something. It's just, it's just amazing. Well, the Garden of Eden is like that times a hundred. It's just, it's just amazing, immaculate, and perfect. And the best part of the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve walked with God. Like they were in relationship with God. Like good relationship. Like, like every morning God's saying to Adam, Good morning, Adam. I made you. I love you. Uh, I want you to look at what I... It's bolded and italicized. Uh, Our first parents were left to the freedom of their own will. They were left to the freedom of their own will. Uh, This is really important. What we're about to talk about is what went wrong. Uh, Things were great in the garden. I mean, things were great. And Adam and Eve were left to the freedom of their own will. Uh, And what they did with their freedom is they fell from the estate wherein wherein they were created. What they did with their freedom is they sinned. Uh, 
Here's why I think it's important that the catechism teaches us, that Scripture teaches us, that Adam and Eve were left to the freedom of their own will. Um, A big question that some of you in this room have, and that I have, is why did sin enter the world? Uh, Some people would phrase the question even this way. Why would God allow sin to enter the world? Let me say two things about that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is God does whatever He wants to do and He made Adam and Eve with a choice. They were left to the freedom of their own will. If God wants to do that, if God wants to make a man and a woman who are left to the freedom of their own will, He can do that. And He gave them one rule. One rule. And they did what every one of us would have done. They broke the rule. Um, it's important that, that we, we recognize that they were left to the freedom of their own will. Uh, Adam and Eve are not puppets. They're not pre-programmed robots. Uh, it's not as though like uh, Eve is like talking to the serpent about this uh, fruit that she could eat. And she's like, you know, this seems like a terrible idea. I really don't want to do this. And all of a sudden, her, her like arm is just like reaching for the apple. And she's like, oh, why are you doing that, arm? Why would you reach out for said fruit and bring it towards my mouth? Ooh, why does it smell so good? I really don't... I really would rather not eat this. This is a terrible idea. I don't want to do this. Why is my mouth opening? Why am I taking a bite of the forbidden fruit? Why, why am I swallowing it? Why am I offering it to my husband right now? I don't want to do it. That is not what happened. That is not what happened left to the freedom of their own wills. They sinned. Now, let's talk about what happened next. Sin is doing what God says not to do and not doing what God says to do. Okay, there's two ways to sin. Either not do what God says to do or do what God says not to do. Uh, there's a lot of ways to sin. A lot of ways. deep dive here into uh, question 18. This, this is um, this is good. This is where it gets tough, y'all. It's, it's um, When we talk about the fall, things get pretty intense because things get real. Uh, because we do live in a fallen, broken world and um, the catechism is going to help us see uh, in hopefully a specific way just how broken the world is. Um, question 18 of the Catechism says, Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein two men fell? Now, if that's not 1643 language, I don't know 
what is. But the question is, okay, you say that uh, man fell into an estate of sin. What in the world do you mean by that? What does it mean to fall into an estate of sin? Like when Adam and Eve broke God's one rule, what happened? And here's what it says. The sinfulness of that estate consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature. Okay, so three things now describe Adam, the man who sinned. Um... He's guilty because he broke God's rule. He no longer has original righteousness. Like when when we hear righteousness, uh, we need to think not so much like goody two shoes. Like wow, Adam has this like squeaky clean record. Good for him. I want you to think like flourishing. Like he is right with God because he's never done anything wrong. Because he's in relationship with God. Things are perfect. Things are great. And that goes away when he sins. His relationship with God is, is broken because he's no longer righteous. And look at this last phrase. The corruption of his whole nature. Um, I, like, uh, four days ago, Sunday night, before we came here, I went to... Um, I went to the gas station to fill up my gas tank for our trip, and I was out of my car for maybe five minutes. Um, and three different men approached me asking me for money. Three different men. And each of them had a horrific story about the reason they needed to ask for money. All three of them. Like, like dire situations. And you know what I said to all three of them? Sorry, man. Nothing I can do. Okay. Uh, here's the hard part. I think all three, of the, all three of their stories that they shared with me are probably true. And if they're not, there's probably a worse story that they're not telling as far as the reason that they need help. And I pretended that I didn't have the time of day to help them. Um, our world is so jacked up that if you walk out into it for five minutes, four broken people will interact with each other and they will lie. They will express the fact that they need need. They'll, be, uh, they'll, they'll profess desperation to one another. They'll spit on each other. They'll be rude and ugly to each other. That's five minutes out in the world is all it took. Do you know why? Because man is corrupt from top to bottom. That's you. That's you. You want to know why the world is the way it is? Because every single person is corrupt from top to bottom. Um, here's question 19. Um, this is the real answer to question 19. So let's, let's do the Georgia Bulldogs thing one more time right here. 19. What do you mean by the state of the mystery? Okay, um, the Catechism says to us that what Scripture teaches is that when the fall happened, the whole world fell into an estate of sin, which we just talked about, 
and misery. Um, so when, when we talk about sin, all mankind is corrupt. Every single individual that you know, every single individual you know is corrupt. Corrupt. Um, and not only is the world in a state of sin, it's also in a state of misery. Now here's, uh, here's some pretty colorful language to describe our world today. Um, I want you to look at the first little phrase. It says, All mankind by their fall lost communion with God. They lost communion with God. That sort of sounds like the most mild thing in that answer, but it is by far the worst. In fact, it sort of is the whole answer, and the rest of it uh, is just a description of that. The world is miserable because mankind lost communion with God. Because our relationship with God is broken by sin. You know, we know this intuitively. Like, if you do something to hurt someone, your relationship is broken. And there, like, needs to be forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, if you talk trash about your friend behind their back and they find out that you talk trash about them behind their back, the relationship will be broken. You guys are not going to get your nails done the next day. You're just not. You're going to be mad at each other. Uh, the same is true with our relationship with God. So every single person who's corrupt has a broken relationship with God and that makes the world a miserable place. Um, some of you... Uh, have this question I know because you you shared it um, on the first day and I know this is a question that uh, that I have uh, and it's, it's actually the example question that I gave for you to uh, to ask on the first day which is why do bad things happen why is the world the way that it is uh, why is there so much evil in the world um, I want you to look at what I bolded right there it says, All mankind by their fall lost communion with God, they're under His wrath and curse, and so made liable to all miseries in this life. Liable to all miseries in this life. Uh, the fall was so bad. Man is so corrupt. The world is so miserable that all of us are made liable to all miseries in this life. You know, you may think, like, no, no, no. If I just do the right thing, like if I just behave well, I can have a good life. Like, I can have a safe, comfortable, fun life. Where I just, like, get married and live on a hill and the sun shines every day and my kids go to Ivy League schools and they get really good jobs and they come visit me with grandkids. Um, nope. You and I are liable to all miseries in this life. I've got a, a baby girl, a daughter, who's she's 19 months old. She's teeny tiny and she's the cutest thing that's ever existed. Ever. I've seen pictures of baby polar bears. They don't hold a candle to my child. Um, you know, I was thinking the other day, like she's never broken a bone. She like will fall sometimes. She actually cries so hard she passes out, which is sort of intense. But I was thinking about this. I'm like, I, my desire so like so much. I just want to like build a brick wall around her that just like moves with her, so nobody ever touches her or looks at her. To be frank, um, she is liable to all miseries in this life. Like she is so far out of control 
of her circumstances and what happens in her life, bad stuff's going to come. And you know that as much as I want to protect her, I very well might be the reason that she endures misery in this life. Like she might end up in counseling because of the way I parent her. Because we're, we're liable to all miseries in this life because of the fall. That's how bad the world is. Um, okay, we, we have arrived now at the, the bottom of the bottom. Okay, this is as, this is as low as we get uh, in this class. And I hope you feel it as much as I do. I, I could cry, I think. Um, the world is in an estate of sin and misery. We are in an estate of sin and misery. So here... Uh, we come back to our original question that I asked you to write down. What's the biggest problem in the world? And uh, I hope that this makes sense. Um, sin, some of you might have written sin. Um, sometimes that can feel weird. I'm like, you know what? People telling like white lies doesn't seem like the end of the world to me. Um, I, don't think, I don't think white lies is the problem. I think the fact that sin exists leads to everything that's wrong with the world. I think that every bad thing that ever happens in the world could be put in a giant box called sin. Like when you see something happen that you're like, that seems wrong, that is bad, I wish that had not happened. When you read the news and you say, that's a bad thing, just take that thing and put it in the category called sin. Because sin is the reason it happened. Sin is the problem. Um... I need to be quick here, but I do want to say this. If you think, like, you know, I'm really not that bad. Like, I know there's bad people out there doing bad stuff, but I'm not that bad. Um, some of you have heard this story before. When I was uh, 17 years old, I was driving in my car with a friend, and he was asking me some questions about my mom, who I love dearly and is an amazing person. And I just happened to be frustrated with my mom at the moment, so I just let him, I let her have it to him. And I said some words that I'm not proud of about mi madre, and they were colorful. And um, I, uh, I went on for like five minutes about how horrible my mom is and, and how she never lets me have fun. And she's terrible. And she doesn't probably love me. She probably doesn't love me. Um, after, after like five minutes, I reached in my pocket to check my flip phone, and I was connected on a phone call to my dad. Left him a voicemail about my mom. Um, Okay, if you would ask me in that moment, Chandler, are you a naturally good person, naturally bad person? I would say, are you kidding me? Do you, do you know me? I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm an awesome person. I'm like in the top 1% of good people in the world. Like, we need more of me. If everyone was me, the world would be great. And that's how jacked up I was. I didn't even love my own mother. The one person who I'm like biologically predisposed to love, I didn't love her. I called her five-letter words on a voicemail to my mom. That's how broken. Uh, that's how broken we are. That's how broken we are. Okay. Um, the next 88 questions of the catechisms. We're not going to go through all of them. They answer this question: If the world is so jacked up, if it's all sinful and miserable, is there any hope? Is there any hope? We're going to end with the answer to question 20. So we've just gone through the first 19 questions. We get here to question 20, and this is how we're going to end our time together. Let's do it, Georgia Bulldogs. All right, question question 20.
I think question 20 might as well say, did God do anything? Like the world's so jacked up, did He do anything? Does He care? Did He just leave the world to perish? Which, by the way, uh, we talked about who God is. Like uh, Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. The prophet Jeremiah said, Doesn't the potter have a right over the clay to do whatever he wants with it? Uh, the Old Testament says that all mankind is like a drop in a bucket to God. Your life is like a vapor that appears for a second and is gone. All mankind is counted as nothing to God. So if God, if God wanted to... He has every right. He's infinite. He's eternal. He can start over say, we're done. The earth was terrible. It was just terrible. Like creating the universe and all that, just it got nasty so fast. We're just going to start over. Is that what he did? No. He decided, you know what I want to do? Even though they don't deserve it, I'm going to come save the sinful, miserable people who left to the freedom of their own wills sinned against me, God. Uh, Tomorrow we're going to talk about the amazing good news that God sent a Redeemer to save us. Uh, Let's pray together and we'll we'll be done. Oh Father, uh, this is hard to talk about. It's hard to wade into these waters, Lord. Um, And we need your help to see the hope that you've given us in Jesus. Um, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that, to see just how much you do love broken, sinful, miserable people like us in a broken, miserable world. Um, God, we want to know your love for us in Jesus. I pray for these students that as they, even as they chew on the, the darkness of the world, as they live in a miserable, sinful world, God, I pray that they would turn to you and find hope in you. Um, because we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.